everybody i guess that's the only correct way to start off this podcast this is number 18 of the chris carl photography podcast and on that note i want to take a moment to say a massive 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 thank you uh, to everybody that has uh, streamed downloaded listened liked reviewed critiqued criticized hated uh, interacted in any way with the podcast i want to thank everybody that's been on the podcast um, and all of the pe- people that will be on the podcast in the future uh, i received an email this week saying that the um uh, hosting site for my podcast has actually had uh i think it was six 600 downloads i need to check that now i've said it so many times i've actually confused myself uh, but just an inordinate number of downloads here we go let's have a look 600 downloads on the 17 episodes of the podcast that are available um, at the point of recording. That is bananas. I want to say thank you so much to everybody that has um, interacted in any way, shape or form with the podcast. The support is uh, tremendous and completely unwarranted. I wish I was better at this, uh, but it is really appreciated. Thank you all so much. This episode is going to be a little bit different. Uh, It is myself uh, and nobody else is not with my wife. It is not with uh, a special guest. It is literally me. I want to talk about 2019. I want to talk about 2020. And I want to talk about a new project that I've got going on. So 2019, let's do a bit of a review on what 2019 was for me. In the photographic sense, it was an incredibly busy year. I resumed testing and uh, shooting headshots and portfolios for agencies, which I hadn't done for a little while. And Um, That has pushed me towards a very important decision, which I will allude to a little bit later on. Uh, But it was great. I met some fantastic people, photographed some beautiful faces. And in terms of weddings, I think I photographed about 65, 67 weddings. This is in that ballpark. Crazy number. Um, Probably the hardest year I've ever had as a photographer. Um, Some really difficult circumstances to work under. Um, Some very demanding clients, um, which is obviously the name of the game. Um, But... Yeah, just a very difficult year overall. Very happy to have had a couple of weeks off now. Had a wonderful uh, time over Christmas, saw some family, uh, had some time off, spent some time with my lovely wife and puppy. It was it was uh, a good festive season. I hope everybody had a great festive season at whatever they celebrate. Um, going forwards, what can I take from 2019? Well, well, one thing that me and Jamila do pretty much constantly, but definitely... Uh, in the January period is we kind of review our contract um, for weddings and we kind of see what needs tweaking and what needs tightening up and if anything needs to be added or modified. And uh, that's definitely the case this year. We're definitely going to have to modify some things. Um, we've had uh, a relatively fantastic year and um, produced some wonderful images, been along to some wonderful weddings Um there's obviously always going to be little outliers where there's stuff that you wish you could have done differently or you wish you could tighten up or whatever. I mean, we come away from every wedding wish, wishing we could have done certain things differently, but um, definitely some tweaking to be done to the contract. Um, and one thing I will say, and this comes off the back of a conversation I had very recently with someone who has just moved into weddings, is it doesn't matter if you're photographing your friend's wedding uh, for free or if you're taking on your first paid job, however it works, if you are photographing a wedding and you are in any way considered to be the photographer at that wedding, you need to contract up. You need to have a signed agreement between the two of you stating exactly what 
is expected, what is going to be delivered and, and, you know, uh, just basically give you both an opportunity to be, um, honest and clear in expectations and, um, what is, uh, you know, relatively possible on the day. Um, I've had a few people say to me in the past that it's just a friend's wedding and they haven't contracted up and then, you know, it only takes your friend's new wife to have a problem or your friend's new husband to have a problem with uh, something to do with the photos or for you to knock something over on the day or for them to knock over your camera. And then, you know, all of a sudden friends aren't quite as close as we thought they were. So definitely contract up. There's plenty of places online for you to find templates for uh, wedding photography contracts and then tweak them from there. A couple of things that are really important with my one is uh, it states that I have artistic interpretation rights, which basically allows me um, the opportunity to photograph things the way that I would choose to photograph them, as opposed to after the fact, people being able to say, oh, well, I would have done it this way. Um, I think, you know, I have a large enough body of work now for there to be a reasonable expectation of the way that I work and uh, the type of images that I produce. And if I was to produce something wildly different from what what is uh, clear and apparent from my portfolio, then that would be understandable. But um, definitely something that's come up in the past is, people that haven't really done their due diligence and expected things based on Pinterest boards or Facebook chat groups without really looking at the photographer that they've hired. Um, nothing ever particularly major, but it is just something to be aware of. Right. That's the least fun part of this out of the way. Let's talk about photographically what's been different this, this past year. Well, the most obvious thing uh, that I get asked probably every single time I see someone for the first time in a while uh, is to do with me switching to Fuji and obviously I've talked about that ad nauseum uh, in the past but the switch to Fuji was obviously quite a big deal um, for me personally. Um, I've had people ask me a couple of questions to do with this and rather than talk about um, you know the gear that I've got or the reasons because that's all that's all available on previous podcasts um, I actually thought I would just answer a couple of questions that I've been asked so many times lately. One of them is do I miss Canon and I can say Completely honestly, I do. Um, I think anybody that has spent a significant amount of time using any piece of technology and getting used to its characteristics and its traits and the muscle memory, especially of using that um, particular piece of, of equipment to suddenly use something differently, it's very jarring and you do sort of miss um, the comfortability factor of what you had previously. So I definitely miss um, quite a lot about Canon. Uh, I, I'm actually surprisingly miss the optical viewfinder, um, which I, I suppose is understandable. Um, I wasn't really expecting it, but it is understandable. You get used to a certain way of working. Um, and I do miss the range of prime lenses that was available. Uh, one thing with Fuji, I will say, is that they double up on so many focal lengths. You know, there's two 35s, there's two 23s, there's two 16s. Um, there's two 56s um, and and everything else they've got isn't particularly far apart. I'd love to see them, you know, add in sort of a 200 mil equivalent for a crop um, prime. And I'd love to see them add maybe something in like the 70 mil range, um, something very fast so that you, you know, you, you're kind of combining that um, that focal length with a very shallow aperture, it's going to be a big lens. It's going to be expensive, but I'd quite like to have the option. Um, I know there's a 200 mil, but that thing's just absolutely ludicrous in price and size. So 
Uh, there has to be a happy medium in there somewhere. So I do miss the range of lenses that were available with Canon. Um, and it's actually interesting. So in the last sort of 24, 48 hours, they've announced the 1DX Mark III and the improvements that they've made uh, to the 1DX Mark III um, to do with like your ability to select focus points using like a touchpad um, and the use of the uh, CF Express cards actually got me excited about Canon. And then I remembered I'm not with Canon. Um, so, you know, there's definitely still, um, I still have a lot of love for Canon. I have a lot of love for, uh, for Canon users as well. I've actually recently directed quite a few people who were looking for recommendations on camera gear towards both Fuji and Canon. So, um, it's not a case of me switching allegiances and pretending I never had any interest in Canon at all. Um, and the other question I get asked quite a lot is, do I miss full frame? And it's a completely understandable question, but uh, it's also one that's spurred on by the ridiculous nature of um, preachy photographers on YouTube and on Instagram and on on different blogs and whatnot. I don't miss full frame in any way, shape or form. Um, I, I tend to just want to take the camera that I have in my hands and see what I can do with it and maybe not constantly be comparing it to everything else around. So even though I can remember what it was like to shoot on like 5D Mark IV, that doesn't mean when I pick up an XC3, I'm thinking, how can I make this do the same thing as that? I'm more interested in how I can get the most out of the XT3. So I don't miss full frame as much. Um, the uh, the noise issue with a crop camera is, as it's not bad at all on the XT3. It's not obviously ever going to be the same as full frame, but it's not bad at all. It's not anything that I'm particularly worried about. Um, I, I, one thing I wish was more uh, prominent as well with Fuji is flash options. I know the Godox exists and I know a lot of people rely on Godox, but it just feels like Fuji don't really think that flash is a viable option for anybody and their flash guns are all a bit lacking. So I wish that was something that they would work on. Um, but anyways, nothing, nothing particularly major, nothing that I'm losing sleep over. What else has happened this year? I mean, we're, we're quite lucky to even be talking right now because obviously in the last few days we've had World War III declared with um, the worst president in history ever, according to everybody, President Trump and the attack in Iran. And we've also had Ricky Gervais destroying Hollywood. We've had Australian fires that were definitely caused by global warming and not caused by arsonists. Um, yeah, it's been a fun time, right? 2019 was a particularly hard year, I think, for a lot of people. The elections in England were really bad. Very, very visceral, vile time. No one could exchange an opinion um, with, with someone that wasn't of the same opinion. Uh, sorry, of someone of a different opinion. Everyone had to just, you know, go through this cycle of confirmation bias. And I'd like to just see everybody calm down a little bit. Everyone get to get back to understanding that it doesn't really matter what you think. You're never going to win anyway. Just enjoy life for what it is. Um, and on that note, something that I've noticed has been a big issue uh, this year when it comes to sort of um, civil discourse and people getting on with each other is just the complete inability for people to take criticism and the complete inability for people to understand the difference between honest criticism and critique and abuse. Um, and there's a, the, the, I'll keep this fairly limited because I have a tendency to move towards negative subjects and I don't really want to. Um, this is a negative subject, but I want to hopefully bring something positive to it. There's a word you need to remove from your vocabulary. If you're older than five years old, 
and you're a creative. You need to remove the word hater from your vocabulary. It's an incredibly childish, whingy, wimpy term to have in your arsenal of excuses for why you're not getting the attention you think you deserve. The the very idea that any criticism that is brought upon you is down to someone's hatred of you is not only so self-servicing when it comes to the ego department, it's, it's beyond delusional. You aren't above criticism. You aren't above critique. There are going to be people that say things that you don't agree with about your work. They're going to have problems with the work that you do that you don't think needs to be addressed. And that doesn't mean you have to address it. I'm not saying go the complete other end and listen to everybody that criticizes you and do everything that everyone says. Otherwise, you'll just be spinning plates and you can't make everybody happy. But what you need to do is to understand that when someone gives you an opinion, especially in the age of the internet where everyone's hiding behind a phone, everyone's hiding behind a keyboard, most of the stuff that people say online, they wouldn't say to each other's faces, positive or negative at that, at that rate, positive or negative. You are able to dismiss something. You don't have to dismiss it out loud. You don't have to call someone a hater. You don't have to call someone names. You don't have to belittle their work. You don't have to get personal with them. You can just dismiss what they've said. It's very straightforward. Someone says, I wouldn't have done it this way. You should have done this, blah, blah, blah. You can say, okay, and then carry on doing what you do. You know, people react in an escalating manner when you come back at them with aggression. So all you're doing is prolonging the irritation of having this person talk to you. Most people can be won over as well. There's, there's plenty of interesting and incredibly fake social experiments online where they show you how people can be so easily won over if you don't just come straight back at them with anger. So someone comes to you, someone's on your Instagram feed or someone's you know, commenting on a blog or on a YouTube video or whatever you've posted and someone has negative things to say about it, things that hurt you. And it's, it's definitely going to happen because like most creatives, you put so much into your work that you think it's a piece of you. So they're insulting you personally. They're insulting one of your kids or they're insulting your wife or your husband or whatever. You can just dismiss it. You can just take a breath and dismiss it. And this is coming from probably the worst person ever at dismissing irritation. I, I'm someone who gets so wound up so easily. But something that's been so helpful for me is my wife basically cutting the open strings of it and just telling me to grow up. And I absolutely agree with her. I, I've never liked the idea that the only reason anyone would criticize me is because they're a hater. That's seriously the most embarrassingly childish, trying to sound like you're of a different ethnic um, origin way of saying, I can't handle criticism. It sounds like you're trying to use like street slang or you're trying to be cool. You know, it's like when someone, you know, when someone from Cheshire says that's lit, you know, or someone from Surrey says something is fire or, or uh, I always bring it 100. You know, it's just embarrassing when people talk like that. So first, it's embarrassing in just a colloquialism sense. But it's also embarrassing in the sense that you just have to learn to understand that some people won't like what you do. And they are entirely entitled to not like it. And they're entirely entitled to not be appeased and not liking it. They won't like it and you're not going to do anything about it. Doesn't mean you have to react angrily. 
So let's get off of this idea that every time someone's got a problem with something that we do, it has to be down to hatred or haters or, or anything personal. Sometimes people just don't like what you do and they haven't got anything better to do than sit online and moan about it. If you don't keep feeding them, they won't keep talking. Ooh, that was fun. I'm glad I got that off my chest. So what else has happened in 2019? Well, I wrote a blog, um, very end of 2019, I wrote a blog uh, concerning a decision I've made with my personal and professional portraiture. The sort of, there's three sides to what I do. Um, there's the wedding side, which is, you know, it is what it is. The framework's in place for the next sort of three years. Um, we have bookings in for quite a long time in advance. And, and you know, the main focus with the wedding work is to just continue to uh, define and refine the style that we shoot and improve on our skills. We have uh, the second side, which is my portraiture, headshots, uh, doing stuff with agencies and so on. And um, the decision that I made, and it's been a long time coming, um, is that I will focus almost entirely uh, on photographing male subjects and not photographing female subjects. So I wrote a blog about this, and I'm not going to bore uh, the pants of people listening to this by just reciting the blog, but essentially I'm not a particularly big fan of a lot of the current trends of female fashion, of female makeup trends and of the editing trends of the general public these days. I think that the sledgehammer to crack a walnut approach to um, editing skin and uh, the oversaturation, the abused amount of contour and highlighter used on people's faces, you know, lip fillers and, and so on and so forth, which people all have their absolute right to, to find wonderful and charming and pretty and beautiful and whatever. That's fine. Um, it's just not doing it for me. And it's, it's becoming harder and harder for me to sort of move my style in the direction I want it to go in when so much of, of so many of the people that I photographed, the females that I photographed have wanted it to go in a different direction. Anyway, I go into full detail on that, uh, on my blog, which you can find at chriscarl.com forward slash blog. Um, but I'm excited for the challenge now because I've never been, I would never, I've, I'd say I've never been completely comfortable photographing men. Um, I've, I've gotten a lot of good pictures, a lot of pictures I'm very proud of, uh, but I always feel like I've come away from every shoot feeling like I haven't quite got what I wanted out of it and I need to get a lot, you know, a lot better at it. So I'm quite excited for that. I'm going to be um, doing a fair bit of work with agencies coming up. Um, and I'm also looking to hopefully branch more towards working with actors um, and performers than with just models. Does this mean I won't photograph any females? I can't say that for sure. I have plenty of friends who are um, female models who are um, wonderful to photograph and in no way demonstrate the problems that I, ha I have with, you know, the majority of what it feels like the majority of photographing females has become. Um, but it just won't be my main aim and it won't be my main aim to find new people to photograph um, who potentially, you know, have those issues. And I'm sure, um, just to clarify that nobody's really like, you know, playing the world's smallest violin about me not being available to photograph um, certain types of, of um, 
of, of images because there's plenty of people out there that are doing it. One thing you should know as a photographer is that um, five minutes after you're gone, no one's going to miss you unless you are, you know, one of about seven photographers in history. You know, Peter Lindbergh disappears and everyone's devastated. You know, Chris Kyle disappears. I'm sure most people um, wouldn't even look up from their phones. So it's not, it's not like I'm saying that this is some big loss to the industry. It's just a personal preference and the direction I want to go in. And as somebody that, that teaches workshops, that speaks to a lot of people that are aspiring photographers, um, I think it's always important to kind of have these conversations. And and sometimes it's interesting to hear the pushback or the, the differences of opinion. I mean, I've had a couple of people say to me that um, I'm going to struggle to maintain a, a decent Instagram following if I'm only showing uh, male subjects. And I probably would agree with that. There's a pretty good chance of that. Um, I do feel like we're right on the... Uh, we're at five to midnight when it comes to Instagram. I think when they finally take away the visible likes and potentially the visible followers, and um, it's no longer possible for people to kind of incentivize how popular they are. Um, I think someone will come out of a new platform and that will take over. I have spent an awful long time in the last 15, 18 months talking about social media. It's been an absolute fascination of mine. I didn't realize going in, it was, it was such a fascination, but it's, it's incredible to me how much it changes people. I've seen people that I know incredibly well completely change on a small amount of social media um, uh, attention. And it's just incredible to me. It's Psychologically, it's fascinating. I wish I was smart enough to understand what was going on behind it. So I shot about just under 70 weddings. I switched mid-season like a complete idiot to Fuji from Canon. Had to learn a new camera system on the fly. I've been shooting a lot more portraits and headshots for agencies. That's pretty much how uh, 2019 went for me. I think um, it's a year I'm glad to see the back of in the sense of, you know, we had um, a pretty, at best, grave mood in England with with sort of general events going on with the election, with the, you know, the media constantly trying to spin things into being, you know, the world's going to end in the next five minutes. It's good to see moving into 2020 that stayed the same. And it, you know, I'm hoping that in a general sense, moods can improve now. People can just kind of cheer up and lighten up especially and just go back to being able to have conversations with people that might have mildly different opinions to them and not have to constantly call each other names or you know, I, I just like us to get back to that point because I feel like, um, the, especially the last 12 months, I mean, it's, you know, it's been since about 2016, but the last 12 months have just been crazy. So what, what do I look forward to in 2020? Well, I'll save the best for last, but, um, I'm very excited about, uh, my wedding schedule this year is batshit. I've got, I think 36 weddings between February and the end of June. That is nuts. Um, didn't realize my schedule was that bad until I picked up my, and when I say bad, I mean like crazy. I didn't realize it was that bad until I checked diary about three days ago. And I was like, oh, I thought this was a lot more spread out, but it's not. It's it's um, sort of literally between April and August, uh, April and September. I, I'm, I'm not gonna have time to burp. Um, I'm barely going to have time to put the kettle on between weddings. So uh, it's going to be an interesting test of skill and an interesting test of like patience and resolve and a definite test of my left knee, which has been giving me jip for the last two years. And at some point I'm going to have to take seriously and actually go to a doctor and uh, see what's going on with it. 
um i'm i'm excited to have some second shooters along some new second shooters along this year um last year we had eh, probably like one major thing where I'd, I'd had someone come along to a wedding and second shoot and it was their sort of first opportunity i think to do it and it was just a very negative experience for me and jamila and uh, they put me off for a little while so i didn't actually have anyone on um to work with us for quite a while and and now i feel like it's a good it's a good opportunity for us to have some people come in that want to learn that are, that are interested to see how it goes and to build up their portfolio and to kind of get some real wedding experience so i'm i'm really excited that i'm feeling that way again because i didn't know if i was going to um the camera club has been an interesting one um so I joined the camera club back in i think it was back in september um and i think in my last podcast when i'd had a drink i maybe went a little bit over the top uh with some of my critiques of the camera club um but generally speaking what i'm if i'm honest i'm actually a little bit disappointed i'm a little bit sad uh because i thought it was going to be uh, an opportunity where i had some preconceptions coming in of some negatives about it and that i was going to be proven wrong and that i was going to really enjoy it and I'm someone who definitely prefers to be around older people than people my own age. I've always been that way. I'm not really the biggest fan of being around. Like when I was a kid, when I was a 10 year old kid, I was never particularly excited um, about being around, you know, 10, 10, 11, 12 year olds. I was always want to spend time with like older relatives or, or whatever, just because I felt like um, I've always been a little bit over mature uh, in a lot of senses. I have my, I have my moments, but I'm definitely someone that is much more interested. In, I, I really like listening to intelligent people talk and pretending I know what they're talking about. And it makes me feel very good. So I thought that maybe coming in, I would have these preconceptions based mostly off of what I remember seeing and hearing with my mum being a member of a camera club. And she is still someone I'm definitely going to try and get onto this uh, podcast at some point. Logistically, it's going to be a nightmare, but I'm going to try. Um, but I was hoping that I would be kind of proven wrong and wrong and those preconceptions would be um would be kind of thwarted and and i would look at you know this really cool opportunity to talk to some like-minded people that have experience in different fields and so on and it just you know that clickiness is definitely there which i'm a little bit sad about i don't think it needs to be there um i think if i was to honestly pitch my own thoughts on very loose assumptions i think my age might be an issue i think being 31 um might be an issue in the group i don't know i mean like without asking people i wouldn't know and it's kind of a weird question to ask people like is there a reason that you think i'm a dick or well i really thought it was going to be something different i mean i guess i didn't think it was gonna be something different i hoped it, it would be something different i'm kind of i guess i'm a bit bummed out because it's kind of turned out the way i expected it to um at the moment, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to kind of probably see out the season and then make a decision. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. My enthusiasm for it dropped quite quickly, which is which is quite sad. Um, so I should probably talk about what is the main uh, thing that I've got to look forward to in 2020. Uh, kind of my New Year's resolution, I guess, although it's not really related. Um, and it's not based on one year. It's something that I want to do moving forwards. I want to make it a continuous thing. I have a new uh, personal project uh, and that's going to be um, based around street photography 
and city photography, sort of city and architecture. And these are these are two things I'm terrible at, two things I want to get much better at. And that's generally the aim of the game. I, I've said to a lot of people over the years who've said to me about becoming wedding photographers, um, who've asked for the best way to get experience. And I've said to them, go and do street photography. Like if you it like you could wait all year for someone to give you the green light to come in and second shoot a wedding. And understandably, a lot of wedding photographers don't like second shooters that they don't know or are very dubious about someone coming in and taking their spot, so to speak. But on the on the weekends that you can't get someone to give you a second shooting spot, I've always said go and do street photography and try and build a narrative with your photos. Because street photography and wedding photography are very, very similar. Most of the time, the people you're taking photos of either don't know it or don't like it. You've got no control over the format with which you're you're involved. They're both the same. You know, people on the street are doing the thing that they want to be doing. You know, they're shopping or they're seeing, uh, they're seeing the sites or they're taking pictures on their phones or they're doing whatever. The people at a wedding are there to see a wedding. You are a formality that most people don't give a second thought to. And the ones that do generally aren't particularly stoked to see you. So it's it's very similar. You have to learn a very important lesson with both of these. And if you can learn it with street photography, it will help you so much moving into wedding photography. And the, it's simply this. You have to become comfortable being uncomfortable. Simple as that. You have to become comfortable with people not wanting you taking their pictures. And I'm not saying harass people or make people feel uncomfortable, but you have to kind of put yourself out there in a position for people to react a certain way and not be a dick about it, but understand that no matter how how polite or introverted or whatever you are, that's not going to help you get a photo. That you are going to need to go out and photograph and produce a narrative under those conditions as well. So I've always told people to go and do street photography uh, as a as a substitution for wedding photography and a great way to learn. And yet, I don't practice what I preach. I don't do basically any street photography, even though I have a fair amount of interest in it. Um, certainly not. I'd say street photography is probably one of the genres that has one of the lowest hit rates in terms of decent images to the images being produced. Um, you, if you look online, there are just random, you know, there, it's like there are just pictures of people on the streets that has no narrative value, no photographic value. It just It's just a snapshot of nothing, but it just happens to be on the street. So it's technically street photography. So it's very hard to find the, uh, uh, how would I put this? It's very hard to find that needle in the haystack sometimes. Um, but it's it's a form of photography that I absolutely love. Um, looking at, looking at some of my influences on this, um, and some of the, the work that I really admire, it just, it makes sense for me to start practicing what I preach and start using, uh, street photography as a way to build up my skill set and, and build up my, um, ability to be comfortable being uncomfortable and, and especially get used to this new camera. Um, system that I'm working with all towards making myself a better photographer for my business. So the new project is called the 3291 project. Uh, you can find my website at the numbers 3291project.com. So 3291project.com. 
Uh, I'm also on Instagram at 3291project. Um, at the moment, all I have is uh, so old, some old storyboards of images that I took back in 2017, 2018, and some in 2019 of just a couple of trips that I've taken, uh, San Francisco, New York, uh, to the Emirates, and to Belgium. And I'll probably add some more as I manage to dig out old hard drives and and look for older images. Uh, but that's not really the point. The point isn't to just to just pump out content regardless of of you know how it was produced. My aim is to take several trips over the course of this year and beyond um, to America, Europe, potentially elsewhere, um, and also to to utilize being in a very interesting country. Um, albeit maybe not exactly where I live. I need to travel into uh, London, possibly Brighton, Portsmouth. You know, I, there's there's characters all over the place and there's interesting places to shoot everywhere. It's just about getting out and doing it. So starting tomorrow, which tomorrow is in 43 minutes as of recording, uh, but starting tomorrow, uh, I'll be heading into London. Not quite sure where I'm going to go yet. I'm, I'm kind of feeling Borough Market at the moment. Um and I'm going to go and photograph some street images, try and get some narrative in there. I've set aside some gear um, that's going to be sort of specific to this project. So I'm not carting everything that I own around with me because that would just defeat the purpose. I've even, I've even picked up some gear specifically for it. Um, but I'll also have a GoPro with me. Um, I'll have a GoPro with me on my shoulder or on the camera, depending on the sort of setup and where we are. Um, and that will be there for me to produce some videos for YouTube where I kind of document my progress and show the images that didn't work. And hopefully there'll be some that do work and kind of it will show me as much as anyone else how I kind of ended up at the point that I did. Um, it's not something that I expect to be amazing at by any stretch. Uh, it's not something I even at the moment expect to be good at, but it's something that I'm really excited to try and improve at. So again, if you want to see any of the images I have up at the moment, it's 3291project.com or on Instagram, it's at 3291project. I've had a few people already ask me, why is it called 3291project? Um, and it's a personal thing. It's a personal project and the number has a personal meaning. And that's really all I'm going to say on it. Um, but as far as gear goes for it, for those that are interested, I mean, there's always, there's always people that are very interested in gear, so I'm happy to talk about it. Um, so I'll be using an X-T3. I've got a black X-T3, which I've like blacked out the, the writing on it so that it's a little bit more uh, sleek and a little bit less uh, noticeable. I purchased a 35 and a 50 uh, F2, the weather sealed lenses. I figured the weather sealing would come in handy. And I kind of like holding myself to f2 as a widest aperture especially on a crop because it gives, still gives you good depth of field i've got the 16 mil 1.4 which is just eternally my favorite fuji lens um if i was to go back to canon and i could only take one lens with me um back to canon i would i would demand that canon do something that is similar to this 16 mil uh, 1.4 fuji lens i'll also have the 23 mil 1.4 uh which cost me about 800 pounds and I've owned for three months and already there are problems with the uh, aperture dial on it, which I'm super stoked about. So thanks to Fuji for that. Um, and I also picked up the little pancake 27 mil 2.8 um, lens. Basically because I had a love affair with the 40 mil 2.8 pancake on the uh, Canon 
and I want something that's kind of equivalent and small and uh, inconspicuous and I can kind of carry in my pocket if I need to. If I just need to take the camera out of one lens on, it's a pretty decent focal range. It's a fairly decent aperture. Uh, also, for those that are interested, the GoPro that I'll be using is the GoPro Black 7 or GoPro 7 Black, whichever way around you say that. Um, still haven't really got used to getting a decent image out of a GoPro that I think is worthy of what they show on their adverts. That's one thing I will say. I've seen even people like Peter McKinnon say that, you know, the footage that GoPro puts out as demo footage compared to the footage that you get out of a GoPro is wildly different. And I certainly agree with that. Um, the only other lens that I might throw in the bag with me as well is uh, this wonderful uh, Mitocon 35mm um, f0.95. Um, it's a beautiful manual focus lens. It's so heavy for its size and it's got such a beautiful focus throw. Um, the one problem I would have with it is that I would constantly feel obliged to be shooting at, at sort of like f0.95 to f1.4 and that's not really the purpose of this project. One thing that's been fun, actually, I have this terrible habit of being almost dyslexic with um, camera menu systems. I, I absolutely hate them. Um, and one of the things with the uh, even the, the Canons where I'd had, I think, you know, six or seven 5D Mark IVs over the space of a couple of years, um, I, I would still find new things in the menu all the way up to the day that I decided to switch. I was still finding stuff in the menu systems that I didn't know was there because I, I'm just not particularly interested in reading the manual and I'm really bad at sort of, you know, looking for little hidden gems in the menu systems. Um, and the Fuji, uh, I, I actually recently found out that I can have split screen and have my, uh, in manual focusing mode, I can have focus check in, in one side of the screen and still keep an eye on my composition on the other side of the screen. And I'm absolutely aware that a load of people that use Fuji are just smacking themselves in the forehead. Like, how did I not know that was there? Uh, but I was really excited when I found out about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the purpose of this project really is just about improvement. It's about um, working on composition and working on storytelling and photography. And I, th I would honestly implore everybody listening that wants to improve their photography, but doesn't really know how, as opposed to going out and buying gear, which will make you feel like you've improved and it'll give you that feel good feeling for about five minutes to actually take on a personal project. I've always got something going on. Maybe I don't always advertise it. Maybe I don't always talk about it, but I've always got some kind of personal project. I'm always trying to beat myself, uh, beat the photographer that I was a year ago or six months ago or a week ago. I always want to be better than the last time I photographed a wedding and having a personal project in place allows you to do that. Um, so I'm really excited to get started with that. In fact, uh, next Sunday we fly to Washington DC. Um, so I'm sure I'll be able to get some interesting, if nothing else, architecture, but I'm sure there's some great street photography to be had in Washington DC. Uh, we come back for a week and then we fly to New York, um, where I've been five times now and I, I love New York. I'm going to go and spend like half a day in or a day in Chinatown. Because uh, I absolutely love the beaten up aesthetic of the buildings there. Um, it's, it, I'm so excited about that. That's going to be great. Um, and if you are someone that's interested in going to New York uh, to do some photography, but you're worried about like the cost of it and so on, it's not obviously the cheapest city in the world. But uh, one thing I can say is that if you're someone that likes to stay in like a, a, a fairly decent hotel, uh, but wants to sort of save money, then I would strongly suggest Row. 
uh, which is just on the back of the it's on the back west side of of Times Square. So it's like one block over from Times Square. Um, be- wonderful location. Like you are in the like almost the busiest part of Manhattan. Um, but it cost me. I think this this past year I went on my own for four nights. I think it was and with Virgin flights and the hotel. The total was about seven hundred pound. Um, which obviously, if you take out a little bit of time, you want to have a shorter trip. And you, you know, you could potentially book cheaper flights or whatever. You could have it for a lot cheaper. Um, and it's just a really, it's a nice, cool, modern little hotel. Has the most annoying lifts in the world that constantly give me static shock. But other than that, I can't really complain. Um, oh, and don't get the continental breakfast because all their fruit is crap. Um, but yeah, no, New York is, New York's obviously going to be a great place to go. We are, uh, me and Jamila are in heavy negotiations about where we're going to be going for the rest of this year. It tends to go that way that we uh, we negotiate where we're going to end up going. So, uh, you know, I'll say oh, I I really quite fancy going to you know, Nashville because I want to go and see some music and watch some hockey and whatever. And Jamila might say like, well, I quite fancy having like a bit of a resting holiday where we don't do anything, no walking. So she's kind of aiming at uh, the Caribbean. So we're in negotiations. I'm trying to get a, a, maybe a, a couple of days away to Paris and a couple of days in Amsterdam um, as a short break, purely so I can go do some street photography. I'd love to photograph in, in Paris, um, especially uh, given all of the sociopolitical stuff going on over there. I'm sure it's a very interesting place to go and photograph right now. Um, although it's very cliche, I'm aware of that, but everything's cliche to somebody. Amsterdam, I'm not so sure about, uh, but I hear good things. Um, although Jamila did surprise me actually recently. She did bring up Prague. Um, and if we could go to Prague, that would be amazing. Anyway, I'm I'm rattling on. So my aims for this year, for 2020, my New Year's resolution for 2020, excluding this, excluding this side project. My aims for 2020 are to improve my composition. Like a, I need to, to overhaul my composition. I've spent far too long depending on when I'm at a wedding, when there's, you know maybe time is pressed. I've just been depending on narrow depth of field and shooting through stuff. And that will kind of save me from having to be particularly clever with composition. And I want to move away from that. I want to get better at at composing images and creating uh, some interesting narrative and maybe look at like, there's some phenomenal videos um, about cinematography. Every frame of painting on YouTube is just an absolute mecca of information. Um, And uh, there's a few others. I think, uh, is it channel Chriswell? Top of my head, I can't remember, but definitely every frame of painting. Um, and talking about like quadrants in the film Drive and how you can split the screen into four. And essentially, there's four different things happening at once. And the composition, when you look at it as a whole, doesn't look busy, but you can actually split it up and tell so much about what's going on by those four quadrants. I'm fascinated by things like that. And I need to start putting that into my work. Um, the bonus of this side project on um doing street photography and so on the bonus will be that i can take this gopro i can make some videos i can talk through potentially some of my hits and misses and make more youtube stuff which i think will force me to be a lot more self-critical which i already am but maybe more um constructively critical as opposed to just battering myself when i'm not happy with an image and finally to have um a decent 
enough year when it comes to weddings that I could potentially do almost a complete overhaul of my website, which is very ambitious. I think if you do weddings, um, you might understand how ambitious this is, but to essentially take all of the work or close to all of the work that's on my website right now and supersede every storyboard that's there with a new wedding with new, better work from my end. And, you know, that's an an extremely ambitious thing to think about. Um, But one thing that I've noticed with um, my progression as a wedding photographer is that year on year, I'm using weddings from a shorter and shorter amount of time, which is a good thing because it means that I'm, I'm liking my newer work so much that it's replacing my older work, which is obviously a sign of improvement. But I would like to kind of do that, but on steroids and really replace quite a lot of my work um, and, and start to build up um, my style so much more. Um, I think the one thing I hope for with, uh, with 2020 is that I will find, I will find a direction more with my portrait work. Um, I'm potentially like fascinated by my uh, love of photographers like Agatha Serge and um, I think it's Philip Sharp, um, obviously Peter Lindbergh and so on. Uh, fantastic photographers that have this wonderful raw feel to their work. And I'm not utilizing that enough in my work. And maybe I need to focus my attention more on how I'm planning and conducting and post-processing portrait shoots to push my work more in that direction because I have so much love for that style of work. I don't know. It's uh, it's going to be a fun year. I'm fascinated to hear about other people's um, uh, New Year's resolutions with photography and also, you know, what they want what they're, what they're learning from 2019 and how they're going to sort of implement that knowledge in 2020. I know this has been a bit of an arduous task to listen to me talk for the better part of 50 minutes. And I appreciate um, that I don't have a guest on. I do apologize for that, but I thought this was an episode that I just wanted to kind of monologue and just kind of get a load of things off my chest and talk about my year and talk about uh, the things that I've experienced. I'm looking forward to the next couple of guests that we've got coming on. Again, like I said at the beginning, I want to say such a huge thank you to everyone that supported the podcast um, and shared it and so on. It's been incredible for me to get that news that we had 600 downloads. Honestly, didn't expect anything like it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And um, honestly, have a wonderful 2020. 